the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For better or for worse, sermons do not drop out of the sky, complete with illustrations, funny stories, and maps included. Uh, The one I'm about to preach certainly didn't, and neither did the one we heard in our first reading this morning uh, from the book of Acts. Peter's address to the crowd gathered in the temple was spoken not uh, in a kind of disembodied way, but it spoke into and out of a particular set of circumstances. You will remember uh, from last week, those of you who were at the vigil, that that Tish told us that the death and resurrection of Jesus were the turning point in history, that, that the world changed when Jesus died and rose again. Well, shortly after that pivotal event, uh, which uh, shocked, amazed, disturbed, and began to remake the disciples into a movement, uh, Jesus appeared to them on the Mount of Ascension, something this church knows a little bit about, and uh, which is recounted for us in Acts chapter 1, and he promised that his followers, about 120 at this point it seems, both men and women, would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Luke's narrative in the book of Acts basically follows the early Christian movement through this geographical expansion. But also in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus commands his followers to wait in Jerusalem. They need the power of the Holy Spirit, what Jesus calls the promise of the Father, before they can actually embark on the worldwide mission that Jesus was giving them. They can't do this work on their own. They need to be supernaturally equipped. And so in the second chapter of Acts, we hear of the coming of the Holy Spirit in power on those 120 gathered in the upper room. And soon the spirit-filled believers pour into the streets of Jerusalem, speaking God's mighty acts in languages they have never learned and leading Peter to preach the first Christian sermon. And not a bad sermon from the looks of it, because about 3,000 people become believers that day and get baptized. Luke sums up the life of the early Christian community right after he recounts Peter's first sermon in these words. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." So a summary of the life of the early church, teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers, these are things 
which still characterize the church today. Signs and wonders? Well, sometimes, in some places. Goods in common? Sharing to any who had need? Well, maybe not as much. Temple worship? That's definitely gone. Home groups? Got those. Public favor? Well, even in the book of Acts, the public favor doesn't last forever. And increasing in numbers daily. Well, we don't see that everywhere, but in some places we certainly do in the life of the church today. A few days or weeks or months after this first Christian sermon, Luke, the author, uh, doesn't tell us exact dates most of the time. The Christian community is still using the temple as a place of prayer and proclamation. We learn of Peter and John going there at 3 p.m. one afternoon at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, and on their way into the temple complex, they encounter a man, a beggar. No doubt there were many of them. This man, we are told, had been lame from birth, and he is asking for alms. Luke reminds us again that the early church is not wealthy. Silver and gold, I have none, Peter says. I actually think that when Hollywood, Hollywood does this film, they need to get Liam Neeson to do Peter's part. I don't have any money. But what, uh, but what I do have is a very particular set of skills. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I think he could do it well. And of course, the man does rise up and walk. He not only walks, he jumps, as we reminded the children earlier this morning. He jumps and praises God. Now, that story in itself, just the narrative itself, carries an Easter message. Jesus, who was raised, has now, through his followers, raised up this lame man. The resurrection power of Jesus has been unleashed on the world. At the beginning of Acts, Luke informed us that in his first volume, the Gospel of Luke, uh, he, he, he told about what Jesus began to do and teach. The implication is that now in the book of Acts, Luke is going to tell us what Jesus is continuing to do and to teach, but this time through his followers, empowered by his Spirit. Well, the healing of this lame man causes a commotion. Verse 11 of chapter 3 of Acts says this, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, amazed. Well, let me, before I go on, let me introduce you to a couple of friends of mine. These are my rubber duckies. As you can see, this one, this one is neat and clean, not a mark on him. This one, however, has a few bruises and cuts. He's been bashed around a bit. It's a paradox. And what, what Luke tells us in the rest of this story is filled with paradox. First of all, he tells us 
that Peter and John don't take any credit for what has happened. Peter says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified Jesus whom you delivered up. And then he goes on to say, it's this Jesus by faith in his name that this man is raised up. It's not us, but God through us, Peter said. It's not by our own power and piety, but it's by faith in his name. It's an amazing statement. Remember, this is Peter. Peter no longer afraid as he was on the night that Jesus was arrested, no longer trying to hide his Galilean accent, accent from young women. This is Peter no longer hiding with the other disciples behind locked doors in the upper room, as we heard in the gospel reading this morning. This is Peter speaking publicly in a place where it could be dangerous to speak of a man who had been crucified. He dismisses any false impression that he himself or John is somebody Remember, this is Peter, one of those disciples who was arguing with the other disciples about who was the greatest. Something has happened to Peter, or rather, two somethings. The resurrected Jesus has appeared to him, and the spirit of that risen Jesus has filled him. His timidity has turned to boldness. But it is a boldness characterized by humility. Peter and John don't point to themselves, but to the power of God. But that's not the only paradox in this text. Peter goes on and speaks about this risen Jesus. Jesus whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And he goes on to talk more about the reality that God knew beforehand that this was to happen. You see, they meant it for death but God meant it for life. Peter says, you all worked in cooperation with the the agents of death, but God raises the dead. God brings new life out of suffering. In spite of the machinations of the Jewish and Gentile leaders to put Jesus to death, in spite of the cries of the crowd who want Barabbas to be given to them, freed, instead of Jesus, the innocent one. Instead of death, God has brought life. Even through this death, God has brought life. You preferred a murderer, Peter says, a terrorist. But God knew what he was doing. God raised him up. And that brings us to the real paradox of this whole thing. God knew all in advance and God used these evil events to create life, salvation, and wholeness. Jesus, Luke says, is God's servant. 
Luke uses, or Peter, it's a little difficult to tell at this point, but there's a very particular Greek word used here for servant, which can also mean son, but it's a word that's used in Isaiah 52, right at the beginning of the famous passage we usually call Isaiah 53. Isaiah 52, verse 13, Jesus is God's servant who will bring life to many, who will bear the sins of others. So that, Peter tells us, sin can be erased, sin can be wiped out, sin can be blotted out. There is a final paradox in this text. And that is that although Peter has been telling a thoroughly Jewish story up to this point, that thoroughly Jewish story has a twist. In this text, Peter talks about Moses. He talks about the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. He talks about the God of the prophets, of Samuel. And finally, at the end of his text, he says, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God gave to your father, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's a thoroughly Jewish story. He is using Jewish texts, but it's a story for the whole world. It's a story for Gentiles as well as for Jews. It's a story for all the families of the earth to be blessed by. Uh, one more thing that, that this story reminds us of, because it's this particular prophet, Isaiah, seems to be in the background of so much that is going on in this text. The lame man had been leaping. This is a strange word in the New Testament. It's almost never found. But it's the same word that's found in Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35 looks forward to a time when God is going to turn the world upside down. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is what is happening in the presence of Peter and John and all the people of Jerusalem. The lame man is leaping for joy. God is turning the world upside down through the power of this name, the name of Jesus, which has now been let loose on the world. Now in Acts chapter 4, we will see that all this good news, all this wonderful transformation, all this promise of life coming out of death doesn't change the world immediately because Peter and John get arrested for proclaiming this name and they stand before the same group that Jesus stood before and they continue to proclaim the name of Jesus. The self-giving love of God in Jesus 
is life to us. But to some, it seems foolishness. It seems slander. It seems to be a story which is only about shame. But the resurrected Jesus has trampled down death. And that can never be undone. And so although we do not yet see all things in subjection under Christ, yet we see Jesus. And we see him at work. We see him at work in our own lives, in the lives of those around us. And yes, if we have eyes to see, even in a world that needs him so deeply. Let us pray together. Father, give us eyes to see. Open our eyes to see you in all your redeeming work. Open our ears to hear you and your word calling to us. Open our lips that we may speak your message of grace to the world. And give us the joy of this formerly lame man who not only walked, but leapt and praised you. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.